Book two, chapter two, part two of Love Among the Artists by George Bernard Shaw. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter two, part two. They stood by the sofa and watched him for some time in silence. At last he opened his eyes and began to appear more at his ease. Would you like to drink something? said Aurelie coldly. Yes give him some soda-water she said to the old woman never mind he said speaking indistinctly in his effort to avoid stirring his upper lip i don't want anything the cartilage of my nose is frightfully tender but the pain is going off it is now very late and i must retire monsieur can we do anything further to ensure your comfort nothing thank you aurelie turned to go mrs herbert she paused i suppose no one could behave worse than i have never mind my speaking before the old lady she doesn't understand me i wish you would forgive me i have been severely punished you cannot even imagine the torture i have undergone in the last ten minutes if you regret your conduct as you ought began aurelie severely i am ashamed of it and of myself and i will try hard to be sorry in fact i am very sorry i was disappointed i should be more than mortal if i felt otherwise but i will never do such a thing again adieu monsieur said aurelie coldly i shall not see you again as you will be gone before i am abroad to-morrow and she left the room with a gravity that quelled him what hast thou been doing now rogue said the old woman preparing to follow aurelie what is it thou shouldst regret by way of reply he leered at her and stretched out his arms invitingly thou shalt go out from my house to-morrow she said threateningly and went out taking the lamp with her he laughed and composed himself for sleep but he was thirsty and restless and his face began to pain him continuously the moon was still shining and by its light he rose and prowled about softly in his stockings prying into drawers and chiffoniers and bringing portable objects to the window where he could see them better when he had examined everything he sparred at the mantelpiece and imagined himself taking vengeance on anatole at last having finished the soda water he lay down again and slept uneasily until six o'clock when he rose and looked at himself in a mirror his hair was dishevelled and dusty his lip discoloured his eyes were inflamed but the thought of rubbing his soiled face with a towel or even touching it with water made him wince seeing that he was unpresentable and being sober enough to judge of his last night's conduct he resolved to make off before any of the household were astir accordingly he made himself as clean as he could without hurting himself from his vest pockets which contained fourteen francs an english half-crown a latch-key a lead pencil and a return ticket to charing cross he took ten francs and left them on the table with a scrap of paper inscribed pour le bel propriétaire hommage du miserable anglaise then after some hesitation he wrote on another scrap which he directed to aurelie as follows i hope you will forgive me for behaving like an unmitigated cad last night as i was not sober and had had my sense almost knocked out of me by a foul blow i was hardly accountable for what i was doing i can never repay your kindness nor expiate my own ingratitude but please do not say anything about me to mr herbert as you would get me into no end of trouble by doing so 
i am running away early because i should be ashamed to look you in the face now that i have recovered my senses yours most gratefully he took several minutes to consider how he should sign this note eventually he put the initial c only after draining the soda-water bottle of the few flat and sickly drops he had left in it the night before he left the room and crept downstairs where he succeeded in letting himself out without alarming the household the empty street looked white and spacious in the morning sun and the young man first looking round to see that no one was at hand to misinterpret his movements took to his heels and ran until he turned a corner and saw a policeman who seemed half disposed to arrest him on suspicion escaping this danger he went on until he found a small eating-house where some workmen were breakfasting here he procured a cheap but plentiful meal and was directed to the railway station whither he immediately hastened a train had just arrived as he entered as he stood for a moment to watch the passengers coming out a hand was laid gently on his arm he turned and confronted adrian herbert who looked at him with a quiet smile well charlie he said so this is hounslow is it what particular branch of engineering are you studying here who told you i was at hounslow said charlie with a grin your father whom i met yesterday at mrs hoskins he told me that you were working very hard at engineering with a tutor i am sorry to see that your exertions have quite knocked you up on the contrary somebody else's exertions have knocked me down no i ran over here a few days ago for a little change of course i didn't mention it to the governor he thinks paris a sink of iniquity you needn't mention it to him either unless you like i hope i am too discreet for that did you know that mrs herbert is in paris is she no i didn't know it i thought she was with you in kensington i hope you will have a good time here thank you how long do you intend to stay oh i am going back directly if i don't get a train soon i shall starve for i have only two or three francs left to keep me in sandwiches during the voyage draw on me if you are inconvenienced thanks said charlie colouring but i can get on well enough with what i have at least if you could spare me five francs thanks awfully i have run a rig rather this time for i owe mary five pounds already on the strength of this trip it is a mistake coming to paris i wish i had stayed at home well at least you have had some experience for your money what has happened to your lip is it a bruise yes i got a toss it's nothing i'm awfully obliged to you for not at all have you breakfasted yet what already you are an early bird i was thinking of asking you to breakfast with me i do not wish to disturb my wife too early and so we'll have to kill time for a while by the by have you ever been introduced to her no said charlie hastily but nothing would induce me to face her in this trim i know i look a perfect blackguard i can't wash my face and i have got a blue and green spot right here touching the hollow of his chest which would make me screech if anyone rubbed me with a brush in fact i shall take it as a particular favour if you won't mention to her that you have met me not that it matters much of course but still very well i shall not breathe a word of it to anyone good-bye charlie shook his hand and they parted now thought charlie looking after him with a grin and jingling the borrowed money in his pocket if his wife will only hold her tongue i shall be all right i wish she was my wife and heaving a sigh he walked slowly away to inquire about the trains herbert breakfasted alone when his appetite was appeased he sat trying to read and looking repeatedly at his watch 
he had resolved not to seek his wife until ten o'clock but he had miscalculated his patience and he soon convinced himself that half-past nine or even nine would be more convenient eventually he arrived at ten minutes to nine and found madame szymplica alone at table in an old crimson bedgown with her hair as her pillow had left it monsieur adrian she exclaimed much discomposed ah you take us by surprise i had but just stepped in to make coffee for the little one she will be enchanted to see you and i also do not let me disturb you i have breakfasted already is aurelie up she will be here immediately how delighted she will be are you quite well not badly madame and you i have suffered frightfully with my face last night i was unable to go to the concert with aurelie it is a great misfortune for me this neuralgia i am very sorry it is indeed a terrible affliction are you quite sure that aurelie is not fast asleep i have made her coffee mon cher and i know her too well to do that before she is afoot trust me she will be here in a moment i hope it is nothing wrong that has brought you to paris oh no i wanted a little change and when you came so near i determined to run over and meet you you have been all round europe since i last saw you ah what success is monsieur adrian you cannot figure to yourself how she was received at budapest and at leipzig too it was behold her aurelie stopped on the threshold and regarded adrian with successive expressions of surprise protest and resignation he advanced and kissed her cheek gently longing to clasp her in his arms but restrained by the presence of her mother aurelie paused on her way to the table just long enough to suffer this greeting and then sat down exclaiming i knew it i knew it from that last letter oh thou silly one could not mrs hoskyn console thee for yet another week how indifferent she is said madame szymplica she is glad at heart to see you mr adrian now this interference of his mother-in-law though made with amiable intention irritated herbert he smiled politely and turned a little away from her and towards aurelie and so you have had nothing but triumph since we parted he said gazing fondly at her what do you know of my triumph she said raising her head you only care for the tunes that one whistles in the streets at prague i turned the world upside down with monsieur jacques fantasia how long do you intend to stay here until you can return with me of course a whole week you will be tired of your life unless you go to the louvre or some such stupidity and paint i shall be content aurelie never fear perhaps you will grow a little tired of me oh no i shall be too busy for that i have to practice and to attend rehearsals and concerts and private engagements oh i shall not have time to think of you private engagements do you mean playing at private houses yes this afternoon i play at the reception of the princess what is she called mamma it does not matter what she is called said herbert surely you are not paid for playing on such occasions what you do not suppose that i play for nothing for people whom i do not know whose very names i forget no i play willingly for my friends or for the poor but if the great world wishes to hear me it must pay why do you look so shocked would you then decorate the saloon of the princess with pictures for nothing if she asked you it is not exactly the same thing at least the world does not think so aurelie i do not like the thought of you going into society as a hired entertainer aurelie shrugged herself 
I must go for some reason, she said. If they did not pay me, I should not go at all. It is an artist's business to do such things. My dear Mr. Adrian, said Madame Szymplica, she is always the most honored guest. The most distinguished persons crowd about her, and the most beautiful women are deserted for her. It is always a veritable little court that she holds. It is as I thought, said Aurelie. You came across the channel only to quarrel with me. Herbert attempted to protest, but she went on without heeding him. Mamma, have you finished your breakfast? Yes, my child. Then go, and put off that terrible robe of thine. Leave us to ourselves. If we must quarrel, there is no reason why you should be distressed by our bickerings. I hope you are not really running away from me, said Herbert, politely accompanying Madame Szymplica to the door and opening it for her. No, no, mon cher, she replied with a sigh. I must do as I am bidden. I grow old, and she becomes a greater tyrant daily to all about her. Now, malcontent, said Aurelie, when the door was closed, proceed with thy reproaches. How many thousand things hast thou to complain of? Let us hear how sad it has made thee to think that I have been happy and successful, and that thou hast not once been able to cast my happiness back in my heaven. Wouldst thou eat me, Adrian? He was straining her to his breast and kissing her vehemently. You are right, he said breathlessly. Love is altogether selfish. Every fresh account of your triumphs only redoubled my longing to have you back with me again. You do not know what I suffered during all these weary weeks. I lived in my studio and tried to paint you out of my head, but I could not paint you out of my heart. My work, which once seemed a wider and greater thing than my mind could contain, was only a wearisome trade to me. I rehearsed imaginary versions of our next meeting for hours together, whilst my picture hung forgotten before me. I made a hundred sketches of you, and in my rage at their badness destroyed them as fast as I made them. In the evenings I either wandered about the streets thinking of you, or went to see Mrs. Hoskin. Who told you that? said Herbert, discomfited. Ah, cried Aurelie, laughing, almost crowing with delight. I guessed it. Oh, that poor Monsieur Hoskin, and me also. Is this thy fidelity? This the end of all thy thoughts of me? I wish your jealousy were real, said Herbert, with a sort of desperation. I believe you would not care if I had gone to Mrs. Hoskin as her lover. Why did I go to her? Simply because she was the only friend I had who would listen patiently whilst I spoke endlessly of you. She, whose esteem I risked, and whose respect I fear I lost for your sake. But I have ceased to respect myself now, Aurelie. It is my misfortune to love you so much that you make light of me for being so infatuated. Well, said Aurelie soothingly, you must try and not love me so much. I will help you as much as I can by making myself very disagreeable. I am far too indulgent to you, Adrian. You hurt me sometimes very keenly, Aurelie, though you do not intend it but I have never loved you less for that. I fear your plan would make me worse. Ah, I see. You want to be made love to and cured in that way. I am afraid I should go mad then, Aurelie. I will not try. I think you are very injudicious to care so much for love. To me, it is the most stupid thing in the world. I prefer music. No matter, my cherished one. I am very fond of thee in spite of thy follies. Art thou not my husband? Now I must make an end here and go to practice. Never mind practicing this morning, Aurelie. Let us talk. Why, have we not already talked? 
No, when I miss my little half hour of seeking for my fine touch, I play as all the world plays, and that is not just to myself or to the princess, who pays me more than she pays the others. One must be honest, Adrian. There, your face is clouded again. You are ashamed of me. It is because I am so proud of you that I shrink from the thought of your talent being marketed. Let us change the subject. Have you met any of our friends in Paris? Not one. I have not heard an English voice since we came here. But I must not stop to gossip. She took his hand, pressed it for an instant against her bosom, and left the room. Herbert, troubled by the effort to enjoy fully the delight this caress gave him, sat down for a moment panting. When he was calmer, he took his hat and went downstairs, intending to take a stroll in the sunshine. He was arrested at the door of one of the lower rooms by the porter's wife, who held in her shaking hand some money and a scrap of paper, the sight of which seemed to frenzy her, for she was railing volubly at some person unknown to Adrian. He looked at her with some curiosity and was about to pass on when she stepped before him. Look you, monsieur, she said, be so good as to tell madame that my house is not a hospital for sots, and tell your friend, he whose nose someone has righteously crushed, that he had better take good care not to come see me again. I will make him a bad quarter of an hour if he does. My friend, madame, said Herbert, alarmed by her shrewishness. Your wife's friend, then, whom she brings home drunk in her carriage at midnight, and who kicks my sofa to pieces, and makes shameless advances to me beneath my husband's roof, and flies like a thief in the night, leaving for me this insult. And she held out the scrap of paper to Adrian. With ten francs. What is ten francs to me? Adrian, bewildered, looked unintelligently at the message. Come, you, monsieur, and see for yourself that I speak truly, she continued, bringing him by a gesture into the room. See there? My sofa ripped up and soiled with his heels. See madame's fine rug trampled on the floor. See the pillow which she put under his wicked head with her own hands. What are you talking about, said Adrian sternly? For whom do you take me? Are you not monsieur Herbert? Yes. Yes, I should think so. Well, monsieur Herbert, it is your dear friend who carries your portrait next his heart who has treated me thus. Really, said Adrian, I do not understand you. You speak of me, of my wife, of some friend of mine with my portrait, and the nose of him crushed, all in a breath. What do you mean? As you know, I only arrived here this morning. Truly, monsieur, you have arrived a day after the fair. All I tell you is that madame came home last night with a drunken robber, a young English sprig, who slept here. He has run away, and heaven knows what he has taken with him. He leaves me this money and this note to mock me, because I scorned his vile seductions. Behold the table where he left it. End of chapter 2, part 2. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine.